everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Mobility Via Podcast, a KPMG tax radio podcast. I'm Christine Kaczynski, a partner at KPMG and our life science industry tax leader. Joining me today are my colleagues, Shipra Threha, a managing director, and David Mays, a principal, both in our global mobility tax practice. Shipra and Dave, thanks so much for joining. Today, we're going to talk about remote working and some of the questions and tax issues that we're seeing across the life science industry. So Dave and Shipra, I know you guys have both been spending a bunch of time helping companies with these issues, so really excited to get your insights today. We've seen the headlines about companies encouraging and expecting people to be back in the office, but things are still shifting, especially with the Delta variant, updated CDC guidance, and for a lot of employees, returning to the office might mean a hybrid arrangement with some days in the office and some days remote. So why don't we start with a first question. What are some of the tax issues and other considerations that you're seeing around remote and hybrid work? Thank you, Chris, for that question. So clearly there are a number of issues that companies have to deal with while tackling their remote work population. These issues range from individual income tax, state taxes, corporate taxes, transfer pricing matters, employment and payroll taxes, indirect tax and subsidies, as well as a large number of regulatory and licensing issues, including data privacy and cyber. I'm just tired of saying that, but companies have to actually deal with all of those issues. We're finding that while these issues are similar for smaller and large companies, but it's where the practical challenges that bring the differences. That's where we're seeing the, the scale and the size of the organization, as well as their presence across the globe, as well as within the U.S., can have a huge impact. Dave? You know, so it really depends on the, the, the size of the organization and the some of the, the tax issues that they're addressing and, and their approach to addressing some of those tax issues. So for a lot of the smaller and, and, and mid-sized organizations that maybe historically only had a footprint in, in a certain handful of states. We're finding that as they're finding their uh, employees are now distributed across a number of states, they're, they're having to comply with payroll reporting and withholding obligations, with potential state nexus issues. And it's really just increased their, their compliance obligations beyond what they have, they've experienced uh, historically. Some of these organizations are also finding that they're they're being asked by employees to support flexible work arrangements in in other countries, and so they're having to to navigate the potential exposure to creating permanent establishment in those jurisdictions, uh, and along with that can come payroll and reporting obligations in countries that they haven't historically had to uh, operationalize. So we're all aware of the existing war for talent, and we see this across life sciences. We see this within our own professional services organization. And because of this, companies are really being forced to lean into increased flexibility to both retain and attract their key employees. So as part of the flexibility, we know that some folks are asking to work remote for long periods of time. And in this industry in particular, it might be easier for companies to be more flexible as it relates to, say, the corporate function versus 
say, the scientists and those supporting scientists in the R&D lab. So how do these considerations factor in when setting policy and the associated guidelines? You know, that, that's a great question, Chris. You know, one of the things that we've seen as, as organizations are trying to develop their flexible work policies is they're really starting with, one, defining what flexibility means to them. And for a lot of, of life sciences organizations, they're, they're falling to three buckets of, of employees. That's those that can work fully remote, those that need to, to be in the office, and then those that they're going to fall somewhere in the, in the middle and, and have the ability to work in a hybrid arrangement where they're working X number of days from home and X number of days uh, in the office or in the lab. Um, once organizations have kind of defined what that what those categories of flexibility mean to them, then they're looking to apply that to the different subsets of their population. So they're identifying job families and roles that, that fit into each one of those categories. And, and then they, they develop that and build that into their policy. So there's, there's kind of clear expectation and delineation amongst their workforce. Um, I'll say the, the, the pendulum is, is continuing to swing as uh, organizations are, are, are trying to figure out how flexible they're going to be both today and in the future. And that has still, be, uh, has, has still been shifting quite a bit, I'll say, uh, partly as a result of delays in returning to the office because of, of Delta, uh, partly because of, as you mentioned, that war for talent where uh, where competing organizations, maybe not necessarily in life sciences, uh, but in, in other industries completely, are, uh, are we're competing for the same talent. And so uh, that's shifting some of the uh, views on flexibility uh, for, for our life sciences clients to, to provide um, additional work arrangements and additional flexibility to their, to their employees. What has, what has certainly come up as, as organizations are, are developing those policies is they're putting clear guardrails in place around who can work flexibly, where they can work from, and for how long. And that helps to mitigate all of the, the risk issues and the tax issues that, that, that Shipra mentioned uh, a little bit earlier. So that's very helpful. And I think, you know, interesting because the, the tax department, while uh, setting policy is helpful with, with that, without having hard and fast rules, it's, it's very difficult to administer. I, I know one of the, the folks that I talked to within the industry talked about the fact that they get between five and 15 calls a day dealing with um, this, the, the, the policy and the guardrails and, you know, trying to interpret uh, what that means to different situations. So from a, from a practical perspective, um, certainly see this creating a lot of challenges. So, so with that, um, what else are we seeing in, in the market in terms of companies uh, reacting to, uh, to, to, to this um, situation and and some things that um, folks should be aware of. Chris, that's an excellent question because we talk to a broad spectrum of clients, all sizes, all industries, and we are finding while the again the issues issues are common. There is no one size that fits all. There is no no one way that you can kind of approach this problem and solve for everybody. It's really dependent on the organization, on their culture, the way they manage their people, the way they manage their, their operations. But if we were to put a framework around how you go about addressing remote work issues, it can be viewed from three lenses. 
One, looking at from a people perspective. Who are our people? Uh, what kind of job do they do? Where do they want to do it from? And where is it possible for them to do it from? Second is on from a policy point of view. What is it that we want our company policy to be? How do we define flexibility? What does hybrid mean for us? How does that impact somebody's compensation? What does expense policies look like, et cetera? And how would we support, uh, say, remote work equipment, amongst other items that comes in the policy development that then very keenly align to, you know, the tax point of view, the HR point of view, as well as the operations? To bring the people and the policy application together is the glue, which is the technology that we are finding. Technology really is at the helm of things, which is helping companies operationalize all the policies that they are putting together. Earlier, we would find that cross-border working arrangements, arrangements were limited to a handful of employees in the company. Now it's pervasive, it's in the entire organization and companies need that technology that is scalable and will sustain the operations uh, on, a, on a grander scale than it was previously. So we are finding uh, technology applications really being at the forefront end of solving this key problem today. You know, that, that's right, Shipper. And what we're hearing from, from our clients is they're looking to leverage the investments they've made in 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 the technology infrastructure around their uh, HRIS systems, payroll, uh, uh, some of their low-code workflow tools and service management tools to help them solve the remote work challenges. And it really, the, the technology components can be broken down to a, a few key steps a few key areas that, that organizations are looking to solve. The first is just knowing where your employees are. Um, you know, uh, looking to leverage technology to, to, to identify the locations of, of, of work arrangements and to, to provide a, a way for employees to request their, their flexible work arrangements. Once that, that request has been received uh, and then that information has been gathered, then put it through the lens of, of analyzing that information and make sure that uh, the flexibility that's being requested fits within the guardrails of the, of the policy that's been designed. Very often, kind of the next component is uh, some sort of an approval process. So the uh, technology to support uh, manager approval, HR approval, perhaps global mobility approval on those flexible work requests. Uh, then, of course, comes the operationalizing of, of that employee movement. And uh, organizations are, are looking to, uh, to upgrade their, their payroll systems to, um, to be able to automate some of the uh, reporting and withholding obligations that, that, that are being triggered in different states and in different uh, country jurisdictions. And then, then finally, you know, any good good process needs some reporting and and monitoring to make sure that uh, the business is getting the insights they need. The the operations team is is able to uh, have visibility into where people are looking to move, etc. So the the key again is is having that that technology that is bringing all of those uh, key work streams together to help to help to minimize the the additional employee effort that that may be required to operationalize uh, remote work policies that's very helpful and interesting and thinking about that many companies do have some sort of 
business travel related technology that they may have looked at already or may even have in place. But if we think about it, we have a, a broader population here than simply business travelers. The remote work concept really adds another layer of complexity there and certainly one that may require new technology or modifications to systems and processes that already exist. So, so let's turn to some practical pointers. So as a life science company is contemplating coming back to work in, a, uh, in, in, in maybe a remote or a hybrid fashion, what are some of the practical steps that our listeners can take in order to best navigate the coming months? Most of, most of our clients have, have started to create uh, a return to work committee or a future of work committee uh, that, that brings together stakeholders across the organization to define those policies and put those pr the processes in place to support a distributed workforce. So our recommendation is to make sure that, um, that there are representation from each of the different key stakeholder groups, from HR to tax to legal to payroll, Make sure that your voice is being heard in those those committees. That is a, a, a the first uh, actionable practical step that we're we're asking our clients to take. And on top of that, so once you have the the working group and the steering committee set up for your future of work, and then you take that forward and start to look at the inventory of where your people are. What are the current gaps and policies that may exist, as well as what processes and systems you might need? So it's really, like Dave said, it's a cross-functional effort from understanding what you want your philosophy to be and then going on to how do you operationalize it working in tandem with the cross-section section of functional stakeholders. That sounds like really good practical advice. Dave and Shipra, thanks so much for sharing your insights today. This was a great discussion, super helpful to have you take us through these topics. And to our audience, thanks so much for joining us. This is Christine Kaczynski, and on behalf of KPMG's Life Sciences Tax Practice, we very much look forward to talking again soon. Join us again next month for our next installment of Mobility Via Podcast. And in the meantime, you can check out our previous podcasts or connect with us directly via email at us-taxwatch at kpmg.com. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day.